0: Acts chapter 27 today. Today's message is entitled, What to Do in the Storm. We're studying through the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the last several chapters have been dealing with Paul's arrest in Jerusalem. Paul has been imprisoned for over two years, all because the Jewish leaders tried to kill him because of their jealousy and they gave false charges against him. The Roman governor wouldn't let Paul go, even though he knew he was innocent, because he was waiting for a bribe before he released Paul. Last week, we saw how a new Roman governor took office, and Paul had the opportunity to share his testimony with this new Roman governor, with King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. Now, while they were unwilling to admit their sin and guilt and turn to the Lord, they did agree on something as they listened to Paul. They agreed that Paul was innocent. And if he had not appealed to Caesar, then he would have been free to be released and set free. But Paul had appealed to Caesar. Rather than endure a prison transfer back to Jerusalem, where the Jewish leaders plotted to attack him and murder him on the road, he says, take me to Caesar, and I'll take my case there. And so he's being sent to Rome. And that brings us to Acts chapter 27. In verses 1 through 20, we read about the storm. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 1. It says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail close along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So as Paul begins his journey to Rome, there's a few things I want us to notice. Notice in verse 2 that it says, we put to sea. You see, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke himself joins Paul for this journey to Rome. So Luke is writing this from his own eyewitness account. Also notice the details that are given. Luke tells us the name and regiment of the Roman centurion in charge of Paul. Luke tells us where their ship was from, from the city of Adramitium. Luke even tells us the route they intended to take at sea. And to to me, all this reminds us that this is not simply a story, but Acts is an eyewitness account of real events and real people. And if you'd like to follow along by taking notes today, you've got some fill-in-the-blanks on the back of your bulletin. And that's our first one acts as an eyewitness account of real events and real people. Luke writes like a historian, recording with great detail all these places, all these people. And oftentimes, critics of the Bible would point out and say, well, this doesn't make sense. We don't have any evidence of a person named this or a role of a person in the Roman Empire. And yet, they keep digging and they'll find something and they'll have to find something else to point out that we don't have evidence for yet in the Bible. Now, in verse 3... It says, And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Paul was a prisoner, and yet he was treated with kindness and given special freedoms. Perhaps this Roman centurion knew that Paul was innocent, and so he was willing to trust him and be more gracious. Verse 4, it says, When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary, and when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. You can see on the map some of the cities that they passed by as they went through the Mediterranean Sea there. Verse 6 There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So much like we might change flights during our layover. They've taken one ship and now they're changing ships to go in the right direction towards Italy. Verse 7, it says, When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinidas, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia." So this journey has slowed to a crawl. With the winds rarely blowing in the right direction, they've taken much longer than expected on this journey, and they're still not at their destination yet. And so look at verse 9. It says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. The fast that he's talking about is probably the Day of Atonement, which occurs in late September or early October, right around this time of year. With winter storms fast approaching, Paul knew this was a dangerous time to still be out at sea. And so Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, "...men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives." Paul doesn't indicate this was a spiritual revelation, like a prophecy or a vision that he had, but perhaps just coming from Paul's own travel experience, he says, guys, this is not the time to go sailing. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. Paul wrote this letter before what we're reading about now in Acts 27. So Paul's basically saying, guys, I've been here before, and we've crashed three times. Let's not make it a fourth. And so, verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest and northwest, And winter there. So they heard Paul's warning, but they went ahead anyways, trying to reach the harbor of Phoenix, which was only another forty miles. Verse 13 When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose, called Euroclidon. So with the soft wind blowing from the south, they thought, hey, we can make it. It's going to help us stay right along the island and we've just got 40 miles to go. But after they got out into the deep water, the wind started changing and pushed them right out to the open sea. And so verse 15, So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. The skiff was the lifeboat, and usually they would tow it behind the main ship. But with the wind and the waves getting worse and worse, they pulled the skiff in and they secured it up into the boat. Verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, the sandbar, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, The next day, they lightened the ship. So they've reinforced the ship with cables. They've begun throwing things out to sea. Everybody knows that they're in deep water. Verse 19, On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So Luke and Paul were personally involved in throwing some of this equipment overboard. Verse 20, Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Can you imagine? Imagine being stuck out at sea for days at a time with hurricane-like weather. No, st- no sun and no stars. And there's no fancy gadgets to orient the ship. They need the sun or stars to help them figure out which way they're headed. And so everybody on the ship all 276 passengers have given up hope of surviving. And now we look at verses 21 through 44, the shipwreck. But after long abstinence from food, now we can imagine that most of them are probably seasick with all the tossing and the turning of the waves. It's likely that they were also too anxious to eat or that much of the food was ruined in the storms. But, again, verse 21, After long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, And whom I serve. Now, pause right there. Notice how Paul describes God as both the one to whom he belongs and the one whom he serves. That's your next fill in the blank. Belonging to and serving God go hand in hand. We shouldn't have one without the other. We belong to God because he's purchased us with his blood on the cross. We serve God because we've surrendered our life to him. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful explanation of a heart of serving God because of what he's done for us. Peter explains for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. If you're a Christian, then we belong to God and we also serve God. Both together. And so now look at verse 23 again. Paul's explaining to everybody on the ship For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So God reveals that Paul would not only survive this storm, but that Paul would make it all the way to Rome to stand before Caesar and testify. Even more, God granted Paul all those who sailed with him. This implies that Paul had been praying for their safety and for their salvation on the ship. Even though they didn't listen to his advice, he still sought God's mercy for them. And that's why the angel said, God has granted you, Paul, all of those who, tra- who travel with you. Paul continues in verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So Paul was confident they were going to be okay because God had given them his word, but the ship was still going to crash and sink. My interpretation of this is everything's going to crash and burn, but you're going to be fine, okay? And so, verse 27. Now, when the fourteenth night had come, As we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. So the depth of the water had gone from a hundred and twenty feet deep to ninety feet deep. They knew it was getting more shallow. And so, verse twenty nine Then fearing, lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. In the middle of the night, they can't see anything, but they know that they're getting shallower and shallower, and so they drop the anchors and pray for the daylight to reveal some land. Verse 30, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. So during this night watch, the sailors, they know they're close to land. They know it's somewhere and they could care less about the 276 passengers on the boat. And so they're saying, we're going to go drop an extra anchor. You know, it's a little windy out here. So they go off to the side and they're trying to get in the lifeboat and skedaddle. But Paul warns the centurion, the soldiers cut off the lifeboat, it's dropped and sinks, and now everybody's stuck there on the boat together. And so, verse 33, And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food. And eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. It almost sounds like he's at the dinner table with picky eaters, trying to get those kids to eat, right? This is for your survival. He continues, he says, Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Now, remember, Paul's just a prisoner. He is being transported as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And yet, now Paul's leading them, telling them when to eat and be prepared for this shipwreck. And even more astounding that Paul's leading their meal here is that everybody else listens and they follow him. And so verse 37, and in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. This is why they needed the crew of sailors to stick around so that they could direct the ship into the island and crash as close as possible to the beach. Verse 40 And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And we can just imagine that as the ship is stuck in the ground and the waves are beating on the back of it, pieces are just beginning to break off from the ship, little by little. Verse 42, And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. You see, if a Roman soldier allowed a prisoner to escape who was under their care, then whatever punishment was due those prisoners was just put onto the That soldier. And so, if you were watching somebody who was on death row and they escaped, they would just kill you instead as the guard. And so the soldier said, This isn't worth the risk. Let's just kill them all and save ourselves. But, verse 43, the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land, and the rest some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. What a scary, messy way to survive this storm. We'll find out next week that they ended up on the island of Malta, which is just south of Sicily. And just as the Lord had said, they all survived, though the ship and all of her cargo were lost. Now, I want us to look at Paul's example Of what to do in the storm and I'm not talking about just literal storms but the storms of life those times where you feel like you're sinking when you don't know how things are going to turn out our first example we read about in verse 23 today it says for there stood by me this night an angel of the gods to whom I belong and whom I serve saying do not be afraid Paul you must be brought before Caesar And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. When we find ourselves in a storm, pray. Pray, that's your next fill in the blank. We need to pray. Again, Paul not only prayed for himself, but he prayed for all those who were with him. He prayed for the guys that disregarded his advice to break for winter. He even prayed for the guys that opposed his advice and led all 276 people into this mess that said, don't listen to this guy, this harbor stinks. There's no Mexican food, there's nothing good to eat, we don't want to stay here, we want to go 40 miles up. He prayed for them too. You see, prayer helps us focus on God instead of our circumstances. Prayer helps us focus on God instead of our circumstances because it's really hard to walk by faith and not by sight when we're focusing on the wind and the waves that are all around us. Your next fill-in-the-blank prayer helps prevent tunnel vision by considering others and their needs. I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, it's really easy to just focus on myself. Focus on me. Focus on my pain. Focus on why everybody else should care about me right now. And yet, if we focus on ourselves, then our perspective is twisted. On everything else that we see and hear. Zeroing in on ourselves becomes a poison to our own hearts. And when we pray, it helps us think about others instead of just ourselves. Next, prayer allows us to be real with the God of all comfort. Allows us to be real. Look at these examples in the Psalms of people crying out to God in the midst of their turmoil. Psalm 42 verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Psalm 74 verse 1 says, O God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Psalm 13 verse 1 How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I love these examples because at times we can relate to them. I love these examples because they're real and they're honest as they cry out to the Lord. You see, God wants to hear from us. Even if we're crying out to Him in the midst of our suffering, just be sure that when we do cry out to Him and we ask these questions of Him, make sure that our heart is that of surrender, that your prayers are requests rather than demands. And so step one of what to do in the storm is to pray. Step two is to lighten the load. Lighten the load. Paul literally helped throw stuff overboard to lighten the ship. And as much fun as it would be to literally throw stuff around when the storms are raging in our life, for us, I'm talking figuratively. And there's two things for us to eliminate. Temptations and the good. Temptations and the good. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 29, He says, "...if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you." For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, Jesus is not telling us to literally start hacking off body parts. But, instead, God is telling us to cut out those things in life that cause us to sin, that lead us into temptation. And so, does that movie tempt you with sexual lust? Get rid of it. Does that friend tempt you to gossip? Stop hanging out. Does the news tempt you to focus on this kingdom instead of the eternal kingdom? Then turn it off. We need to be honest with ourselves about what tempts us personally so that we can cut those things out of our lives. Paul and his companions, they didn't throw out bad things, but they threw out good things. But those good things no longer mattered in light of the peril that they were in. And I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, The great enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but the good which is not good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. Here's what I think he means by that. Satan wants to distract us and hinder us in our relationship with God. And if he can't get us in bondage to our sin... He's perfectly fine to get us in bondage to good things that are not the best things. We might say, Lord, I'll serve you when my job stops taking up so much time. Or, Lord, I'll obey your leading once I become financially secure. Lord, I'll be more focused on you when my kids are out of the house. Lord, I'll point my kids to you after they've gotten that scholarship or after they've been accepted to that college. None of these are bad things. But they become bad things if they're hindering our relationship with God. It's those good things in life that can sometimes distract us from the best thing, which is Christ. If these things are distracting us, then we might need to throw them overboard or at least put them in check and realign our priorities in our heart. When you're in a storm, step one is to pray. Step two is to lighten the load. And step three is to trust God to do what He said. Trust God to do what He said. Remember Paul's words in Acts 27, verse 25. He told everybody, Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Paul was not telling the men to believe in God. Even the demons believe in God and they tremble. Right? James tells us that. Faith in God is more than believing God exists. It's more than believing that His name is Jesus. Faith is believing that God will do what He said He would do. Paul had a unique promise from the Lord. From this angel telling him at night, Hey, you're going to be okay, Paul, because I'm going to take you before Caesar. Yet, even before that visitation from that angel... Paul had this promise back in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, where it says, But the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. It's an amazing promise, because this is way back at the beginning of Paul being arrested in Jerusalem. And yet, put yourself in Paul's shoes. If you had this promise, that God's going to take your testimony to Rome and then you sat in prison for two years and then you were shipped off on a boat where nobody listens to your advice and then you're out at sea for two weeks with no sun and no stars and no food and you're seasick and everybody thinks they're just going to die. I don't know about you, but i begin to doubt. Okay, Lord, well, my testimony is going to make it to Rome, but I'm not, right? This is too much. Maybe I misunderstood what you were telling me there. And yet, God sends this angel to clarify, No, you're going to survive. I'm going to take you there. And yet, for us, we probably don't have a personal promise from God that we're going to survive a specific storm. So let's look at a few verses from the Word in which we need to trust God to do what He says. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 where it says, For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises to be with us in everything no matter what. No matter what we feel like. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus promises in John chapter 16 verse 33. He says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, God promises that He's already taken care of our greatest need on the cross. Yes, we still live in a fallen world. Yes, we still live in broken bodies. Jesus didn't come to give us heaven on earth right now. He came to give us heaven and eternity for all time. He's taking care of our greatest need. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. This is what God promises to do in the future. These verses describe what heaven will be like. But again, Jesus never said, these verses apply to you and me right now today. But he said, take heart. This is your future. This is what I've saved you to. So don't focus on the wind and the waves around you. Don't focus on what you're suffering now. Focus on what I've promised to give you. And so let's praise the Lord for all of His promises in Scripture and let's trust God's wisdom and grace with all those things in life that we don't like, with all those things in life that we don't understand. We say, Lord, I give it to you because I can't hold it anyway. Step one, pray. Step two, lighten the load. Step three, trust God to do what He said. And step four, don't give up. Don't give up. Endure. Paul's a wonderful example to us, especially when we consider God's promise way back in Acts 23, at the beginning of His arrest. I mentioned it already. And you think about all those things that He endured. Really, Lord? Two years in prison just because this guy wants a bribe? Oh, good. A new governor. Wait, really, Lord? This guy wants to send me back to Jerusalem where those 40 guys promised they wouldn't eat or drink until they murder me? It's been two years, Lord. They're really hungry. They're ready to kill me. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. All right, I'll appeal to Caesar. Really, Lord? They're not going to listen? They're going to keep sailing in this weather. Really, Lord? I can't eat because I just throw up because I'm so seasick. Really, Lord? You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to help me survive, but I have to be shipwrecked a fourth time? I mean, the endurance, right? If it were me, I'd be like, just take me to Jerusalem. I'm going to heaven, right? But Paul endured, he put up with it, he kept fighting because his eyes were on the Lord. Paul endured much, and because he didn't give up, God was able to use him as a witness to all 276 people on that boat. Where Paul went to from, oh, he's just one of the prisoners, to now Paul's the one saying, okay guys, here's what we're going to do, everybody listen up. And the captain of the ship says, uh, listen to Paul. And the Roman centurion says, yeah, listen to Paul. And Paul's running the show because he's endured and they see that the Lord is with him not only that but God is going to use Paul on this island for ministry but that's for next week looking back at our list of what to do in the storm we realize that this is not just advice for storms in life but for always so go ahead and fix the header on your note sheet this is really about what to do always all the time whether we're in a storm or not. And as we close, I want us to consider the men on that ship with Paul. You see, it was only when all hope was lost that they finally listened to God's promise through Paul. I want to be clear, God does not enjoy when we suffer. But He does want to use it so that we might have nowhere else to turn but Him if you're not yet a Christian, or if you've got some cargo that needs dumping, or if you're just fighting through a storm right now, then may I encourage you to go all in for Jesus. Go all in. No more holding back. No more chasing the good instead of the best. No more excuses. But go all in. Surrender your heart. Surrender your desires. Surrender your plans to him after all he bought you with his own blood we can trust him with everything that we have in our hearts in our futures and so let's pray god we thank you so much for your word god we thank you for how you used paul in this story to bring all 276 people on this boat to know that there is one true God. and You loved us enough to come and die for our sin on the cross. Lord, you rose again, conquering the grave, fulfilling the law. And God, you've opened up a new doorway for any and all to believe in you so that they might have eternal life. God, you rescue us from our sin and you rescue us from hell. God, we praise you for your love for us and we praise you that you are so powerful and wise that, God, you can even use the storms, you can even use the suffering in our lives for your glory and for your kingdom. And God, I pray for those of us that are suffering right now, God, we pray that You would give us the strength that we need, the wisdom from You, so that we can seek You in prayer. God, so that we can lighten our load. God, that we can trust You to do what You've promised to in Your Word. God, that You would strengthen us to not give up and to endure. God, would You give us the strength of Your Holy Spirit So that we can even say, Lord, I do pray that you would take away this storm. But more than that, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to glorify your name and expand your kingdom. God, for any of us today that need to cut something out of our lives or surrender something else to you, God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to search our hearts. God, make us more sensitive to your voice. And Lord, help us to be willing to cut ties with the things that won't matter in eternity. So God, help us to not let them matter too much here on earth. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We praise you for all that you've done. And God, we praise you for what you've promised to do in giving us eternal life, brand new bodies, eternal life with you, living with you face to face. God, help us to look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.